Welcome to Harrison Church. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope that you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Elizabeth. Well, I like the revival of that song. That's a good one. And I, I want to thank Liam for bringing the average age on stage down a little bit. So uh, that was, was helpful. But um, anyway, we're going to be reading a text in just a minute. And another great one that perhaps doesn't make sense just to our contemporary minds. But just a couple of things. Um, if I had been savvy enough, I would have somehow worked in the great time we had last night at the family picnic. So thanks to all who put that on. It was a feast. It was a banquet. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people put effort into that. And, and I just have to say, our children can dance better than our adults. <laughs> but uh, the adults get an E for effort. Believe me. Believe it was great. Great fun. And, and I know tonight the youth are having a party, so I should have worked that in. But, you know, just bear with me, okay? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your holy word for the way that you empower and enliven it, even still, help us to be receptive to what it is your spirit would have us here today. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So if you will, please stand for the reading of our gospel lesson. I'm going to be reading from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message, and I'll be in the 14th chapter, uh, beginning with the 15th verse. Now that triggered a response from one of the guests. How fortunate the one who gets eat to eat dinner in God's kingdom. Jesus followed up. You know Jesus is going to follow up. Jesus followed up, yes. For there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. And when it was time for dinner, he sent his servant out to the invited guest and said, Come, come in and the food is on the table. Then all began to beg off, one after the other, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and I need to go look it over. Send my regrets. Another said, I have just bought five teams of oxen and I really need to go check them out. Send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married and need to get home to my wife. And the servant went back and told the master what had happened. And the master was outraged and told the servant, Quickly, get into the city streets and the alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits, the homeless, the wretched, all that you can lay hands on and bring them here. And then the servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded, and there's still room. And the master said, then go out to the country roads. Whoever you can find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those who was originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I think I have been around long enough to let you all in on what a difficult childhood I had. Now, not bad. It was quite blessed, if you will. But I'm telling you, it was challenging. Because you see, my mother is an etiquette teacher. Imagine. 
My mother is an etiquette teacher and she was always on it. She used to tell me she had to visit her grandchildren enough so that they would at least catch some manners from her. Anyway, mom taught groups of uh, teenagers at what's called the Creative Arts Guild in Dalton, Georgia. She taught women's groups. She was even brought into banks a time or two to teach the employees how to interact with customers, with clients. Mom was on it all the time. And when I got married, she had this great formula in which she used to figure out how many people would actually show up to the wedding. She worked it. Maybe she got it from Emily Post. I don't know. But anyway, she worked it. There are all these variables. If it's an in-town wedding, expect 80%. If it's an out-of-town wedding or a destination wedding, as it's now referred to, maybe 60%. If it's a holiday weekend, if it's this or it's that, if it's just a general party, you can expect fewer people than a wedding. I mean, mom got into all of this. I was in Durham at the time in school, and so I had veto power, but I just let her roll. Much easier that way. But anyway, she had, had it all under control. She knew what to expect. She planned it out, stayed on it. She probably could have created an algorithm they use now to do such things. But anyway, she was on it. And so when I read this text today, I thought to myself, boy, that man sure could have used my mama. <laughs> She'd have known or at least some party planner of sorts, right? There's some way to get a proper calculation of who's going to show up when you throw a party. Now, Jesus was constantly going to people's homes to eat, constantly showing up, constantly being among the folks, both sinner and saint alike, no distinction there for him. He constantly enjoyed the fellowship and a meal at the table. And so we come to this text today, and, and perhaps it's not a new one. You might even hear echoes from what we talked about last week, where Jesus comes in and, and, and tells a story that reminds the people of God who've experienced it one way for 6,000 years that God's going to do something new. And he comes in and he reminds people who perhaps enjoyed their privileged identity. And he's going to tell them, I'm doing something new. And so we heard that last week about, about how Jesus brings others in at any time of the day. Now that was written in Matthew. And if you'll remember what we talked about last week was that Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. What we understand about perhaps all of the New Testament is that each writer had particular people in mind when they were doing their writing. Paul's letters to churches and, and the Gospels also, that Matthew, as I said, was written to a Jewish audience. We flip it this week, and we come to Luke, and Luke is written to a Gentile audience. Now, that's all of us. The Gentiles are all the people who aren't Jewish, just a, a blanket term. So Luke is written to the Gentiles. And he comes in and he tells this story that, depending on where you're seated, is good news or very troubling news. If you're used to being in, if you've enjoyed that privilege of identity, if you're used to God doing something the same way for 6,000 years, then this story is a bit troubling. It doesn't make sense. And you, quite frankly, you don't like it. And yet, if you are the Gentile, if you've been on the out, if, if you have been accustomed to being that 
misfit in the street. I, I appreciate that word. If you are a misfit in the street, if you have been homeless, if you have been, and to use Peterson's word, considered wretched, you're going to hear this as very, very good news. If you've been so far down, so unclean, this is what they would have heard in the day, so unclean that you weren't even allowed in the city, that you were outside the gates on the country road, and you got an invitation to the party thrown by a, by a man inside, that was great news. And so while that might not make sense either, we begin to realize again, reminded again, that this is how Christ works. This is how grace works. This is God choosing to do something new. Now, I think we have to back up a little bit in, the, uh, in this chapter. It, it begins, again, with Jesus going to have supper with somebody. And we see that a lot. Jesus going into a home, having supper with somebody. We're told in the first few uh, verses of this chapter that he's going to have supper with the Pharisees. And a little light goes on your head, in your head and says, uh-oh, trouble, right? When we hear about the Pharisees in the New Testament and the Gospels, we remember that these were the guys who had a lot of problems with Jesus. These are the guys who were troubled by the masses coming to him. They were troubled by his message of inverting the kingdom with the inside going out and the outside coming in. This bothered them tremendously. And yet he was there, invited to their home, sitting around, having a meal. They did what Pharisees do. They had a conversation about the law. How boring is that? Anyway, they had a conversation about the law, how important the law was. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, yet fulfill it. So they had this conversation about the law. And Jesus began to observe the Pharisees jockeying for a position at the table. Now, in those days, and perhaps in ours, people were known, their, their privilege, their importance, if you will, could be identified by where they sat, and where they were in respect to the host, and where they were in respect to other important people. And so all these Pharisees were jockeying for position. And we do well to remember it's not just the Pharisees who did that. Jesus had already seen this behavior in his disciples. Disciples jockeying for position. Who gets to be closest to the master? Who gets that seat of importance? All of them wanting to be recognized by those around that they were important based on where they were sitting. So Jesus, he's seen this behavior before, both from those closest to him, the disciples, and now from those who are threatened by him. This is not unfamiliar behavior. And so Jesus goes into to a, to a conversation about humility and the importance of humility. And you begin to think maybe Jesus is being just a little passive-aggressive to reference humility as all these guys were jockeying for position. But, but Jesus isn't passive-aggressive. That's evidently, a, you know, a, a contemporary term. But anyway, Jesus isn't passive-aggressive because right after he talks a little bit about humility, he goes to the host directly. And says, what are you doing? Why are you inviting all of these people who jockey for position, who are so into their own importance, who are so into their own status? Why are you inviting them? They may, may invite you back. 
to their house. You may be seen as important when you go to their house. Why are you inviting them? What I want you to do is invite those who could never repay you. Invite those who don't add to your status, at least not in worldly terms. Invite those folks in. And, and then, as Jesus often does, he goes into a story. And that's where we pick up today. He goes into a story to explain exactly what it is he's talking about. And so we come to this story in the very first verse, in, well, chapter 15, the first verse in this parable says, what Jesus had just said triggered a man to say how fortunate it is to eat in the kingdom of God. How fortunate, how blessed we are to eat in the kingdom of God. And that's where we pick up with our story today. That's where we start in our understanding of, of perhaps a parable that doesn't make sense. And yet is good news to everybody who's been on the outs. To anybody who's been counted down, misfit, wretched, unclean, whatever. And so we have this story that we pick up on today. And Jesus talks about this man who's invited all these people to his, to his party. And, and, he, and that evidently, the folks have responded that they'll be there. Now today, we call it, you know, we have the save the date cards that you see. We, we, they didn't have that back then. But they had already committed to being at the party. They had already RSVP'd. He, he didn't need a formula because in those days, I, perhaps people minded their manners. They had already RSVP'd. They had to save the date. And so the master sends his servant out to say dinner is ready. The food is on the table. Come eat while it's hot. And that's when the folks who had committed to the master began to make excuses. That's when they begin to make excuses, and that's what I want us to focus on today. We could tease this story out and remind ourselves again what Matthew said last week, that the, the misfits are brought in, and those who reject the master are on the hot seat. But where I want to go today is to talk a little bit about the excuses the people of God make. I'm going to make a big assumption that, that those of you who are here have, have committed your lives to Christ. If you haven't, let's have a conversation after worship. Let's say that the majority of us have made a commitment. And yet, when the master comes to tell us it's time to eat, what do we do? So often, we make excuses. So often we say we have something else to do. I, th I think a lot of people wait around today to see if they get a better offer sometimes. I stand accused. But we begin to make excuses. We begin to act like those who were already invited, who had already said they'd be there, and yet they come up with excuse after excuse after excuse. The first one says, and I, and I love it, because he's looking to his business, right? The first two Verse 2, say, I got to work. I got to work. I can't make it to this party that I've committed to being at. He says, I've got to work. When my uncle was six or seven years old, it was during the middle of World War II, and 
he went to Sunday school. My grandmother took my mom and my uncle to, grand, to Sunday school regularly. And um, he, the story of my family goes that his Sunday school teacher said to the class one day, now we all need to be praying for Jackie's father. His name, my Uncle Jack. We all need to be praying for, un- for Jackie's father. And, and Jackie wanted to know, why are you praying for my dad? And the teacher said, well, he's off fighting a war. He's across the seas fighting a war. And, and we want to remember him in our prayers. And my uncle said, he's not fighting a war. He's down at his office. My grandfather rarely missed another Sunday. We got to work. We got to work. This man in our parable, I love it because his story doesn't ring true. He says, you know, I bought a piece of land and I got to go inspect it. Now I want to know what businessman buys a piece of land without inspecting it first. Right? He wouldn't be in business for long if he had bought a piece of land without going to look at it first. I mean, come on. The excuse, even if it sounds okay, even if it's momentary, even if it's just this one time, the excuse doesn't ring true. Got to go inspect my land. Uh, Doesn't cut it. And the second man says, I have to go look at my oxen. I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go look at my oxen. Now what businessman buys equipment without checking it out first? What if one of the oxen had a broken leg? What if one of them was malnourished? Who in their right mind, businessman or woman, would buy a piece of equipment without checking it out first? The excuse that might have worked once or twice seemed okay. Doesn't ring true. Doesn't ring true. And so we have these excuses that are made, and then we have one more, and, and it sounds okay. I, I've just gotten married. I've got I to go see my wife. Got to go home to my wife. And, and, and think about it. When you first got married, would you ever turn down an invitation to a party? To a banquet? At no less. When Jonathan and I got married, we'd show up at that banquet and ask for a doggy bag. We didn't have a dog. It's the best meal we'd get all week. We weren't going to miss out on a party. We both were in different churches right after we came out of school, and, and, and the covered dish, I'm telling you, wouldn't miss it. Wouldn't miss it. And we took home plates. I, I, there's just something a little fishy about all these excuses. Got to look at my property. Got to go check out my oxen. I, I got to go home to the wife. And Jesus... God, the host, we are told, is furious. Furious, perhaps, not just because they're not showing up, but furious because they said they would, and then they didn't. Furious because they said they would. They made a commitment and then failed to live into it. And that made them pretty angry. That set him off, right? He didn't like it, wasn't having it, 
And it wasn't about the food, right? It wasn't, this food wasn't going to waste. He was going to send his servant back out to bring more people in. This isn't about the meal. The parables rarely are exactly about what he ta- Jesus is talking about. They're, rarely. This parable is about relationship. And have we committed to it? And what's the follow-up? This food wasn't going to go to waste because there'd always be somebody else to invite. That's gospel. That's good news for those yet to be here. That's a message, no doubt. But what I kept coming back to this week is that understanding of once we've made a commitment, how we doing? Once we've agreed to be there, how we doing? How is it that we continue time after time after time to develop relationship? To put effort into relation? We, we do it with those around us. If the relationship's significant, if the relationship's important, we make time. We prioritize so that we can be present to those who are important to us. That's what we do. And that's what's going on here. Where are we choosing to spend our time? And are we fulfilling the commitment first and foremost that we've made to God? That commitment that we've made to God, are we living into it? Or at least giving it our best shot and making no excuses day in and day out. Are we meeting the commitment, honoring the commitments that we've made? Now, maybe I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. You've joined the party. You've come to supper. You're here. And yet I think for those of us, again, even in this room and those yet to come, those of us that are here, it's about so much more than just a single meal one day a week, right? I mean, the commitments that we've made, if we choose to make that relationship grow, if we choose to continue to respond to God and to live into what we said we do, then there are other commitments that we must, must honor. Mom always said, you get in, what you, you get out, what you put in, right? You get out, what you put in. And so for those of us who show up, and I include myself, what is it that we can do to show up and be present to God daily? Do we begin our day with prayer? Do we read our scriptures? Do we fellowship With other believers, do we meet in small group to be challenged and nurtured? There are any number of ways that we're called upon to meet our commitment so that the relationship will grow. And you get out of something what we put into it. I'll tell you one of my challenges is reading devotionally just for the sake of devotion rather than reading scripture for my job. You ask me about that sometime. Encourage me. I I invite that. Elizabeth, just spend time with the Lord for the sake of spending time with the Lord. Not to come up with a sermon for next week. I I mean, it's, I, I get it. I got a busy life too. And yet I know when I'm at my best, 
When I'm trying to be faithful, when I'm trying to live into this commitment, I'm a daughter of God first and foremost. Before I'm a wife or mother or daughter or sister, I'm a child of God and I've got to invest in that relationship just for the sake of growing in Christ. So I invite you this week to to consider what it is that you can do to continue to live into that commitment you've made with Christ. It's, It's not about manipulation or guilt or shame or any of that. That's not what's going on here. A lot of people seem to think that somehow that's the way faith works. Not at all. Not at all. Jesus is pretty direct, remember? Guilt's not productive. It's not what it's about. It's about the host wanting to spend time with his people. It's about God wanting to spend time with his people. It's about Christ wanting to grow in relationship with his people and all others. If we're so privileged to be those who are already in relationship, then we are so privileged with the opportunity to go and to reach out to those in the streets. Literally, figuratively, emotionally, spiritually. It's another way we grow. It's another way we honor the commitment. It's another way that we get to have fun. This is a party. It's a good time. Whether we're there or not is up to us. Amen. And let us pray. Again, Lord, we thank you for your overwhelmingly gracious invitation. We give you thanks, Lord, for inviting us to your table, to your party. We give you thanks, Lord, for inviting us into relationship with you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be faithful to the commitments we've made, to honor and to invest daily in growing in Christ and being faithful to the way he has called us to be. And Lord, if we have been so privileged, help us look for the opportunity to go and to invite others. For you are a God who multiplies fishes and loaves. There will always be enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.